everyone, welcome back to And What Do You Do? I'm Ed, and every episode I speak with someone about their job. Simple as it gets, really. This time around I was speaking with Lee about his previous career in the military, primarily his role in the military police. Now, this episode is a little different, as I'm sure you will appreciate. There are lots of things that we couldn't talk about, and we had a bit of a stricter time constraint, so the style is a little different but I'm actually very happy with this episode. I've edited it as lightly as possible, so it's pretty much just listening to the chat between me and Lee as it happened on the day. Well, see what you think. I'll be back at the end for some more bits and pieces. Okay, well, it's a new episode and I have a new guest. Tell me, who are you and what do you do? Hi, uh, my name is Lee and I'm a retired army officer. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more, uh, what was the sort of, what was the overall arc of the career, I suppose? Okay. Um, I left school, very little qualifications, um, at age 16. Um, and I probably messed around doing odd jobs, working my father as a laborer for a bit. And then I joined the, the reserves or the TA, it was as, as it was called then, uh, in the military police. And then after about 18 months, I realized that actually, I quite enjoyed the weekends with the TA and wasn't enjoying the week job. And some bright spark said to me, well, why don't you make the army your week job and have weekends off? So at age 18, I then uh, joined the regular army. And did you find it easy to get into? Um, I think at the time. I mean, I mean obviously there's a, there's a physical aspect of it, but. Yeah, it was, you again, you, you went for your interviews. You did um, an on, um, a a test to see whether you had the aptitude. And then you did um, three days at the time in Sutton Coalfield. Uh, and at the end of that three days, you had an interview with an officer who said, yay or nay. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to, uh, to um, be accepted. They said, who do you want to join? I said, the military police. They said, fine, um, you're starting dates in three weeks time. And that's what happened. And up until well, then, yeah. I hadn't told my parents that I was joining. Right. Uh, how did that go? Yeah, it was quite an interesting conversation when I got home then. They thought I'd been away with the, the TA for a couple of days. I said, oh, I'm joining the army. Okay, that's great. You know, how long is that going to take you? I said, I, I, I turned up at the training centre in, in three, three weeks' time. Oh, and that was it. And so from, from the outside, I, I wonder even how, how to phrase this, but, you know, the military really does seem like a very separate sort of organization or set of organizations it really does feel as if you divided into military life and sort of civilian life very very much so. what's it like going into that though um i mean i had a bit of an insight with the with the the territorial army um but it is you're right it's a 24 7 24 hours seven day a week job you know you're not always working but it is then become it becomes a lifestyle and a life rather than just a job um and it's it's quite intense initially through the the, the basic training uh, and then when you eventually leave that and go to a unit the tempo slows down a little bit but it then it becomes all-encompassing and so when you're in there i, I mean there's the there's a, there's a huge number of uh, different units and of course there's the of course there's the branches of the military as well when you're in it when you join do you do you get quite a good sense of the overall picture um, or is it hard to navigate your way through I was reasonably lucky in so much as because I was already in the military police in the in the territorial army, I knew what the military police did. 
I would say I was also slightly ignorant in a lot of the other branches and trade within the services. You know, I understood there was tanks and infantrymen and, and other such, but some of the more complex ones were, was was probably not. I wasn't as aware of. Um, so when you get in and start to feel your feet and spend a bit of time and you start talk to other people you're serving with, then you start going on courses with uh, people from other cat badges, and then. It, it opens your eyes really on what's out there within the services. And in terms of sort of going through the ranks or uh, sort of gaining extra uh, skills, is it always quite clear what needs to be done or what, and I suppose what you need to achieve? Yeah, they're very, they're very good. I mean, initially when I first joined, I suppose the, um, the reporting side and the promotion side was slightly less transparent as it has to be nowadays. Uh, but as you go through the ranks and as you get you know as as the army accepts modern day pressures it becomes easier to be um informed and kept up to date of where you where you sit in the hierarchy and, and what you need to do to to be qualified for the next rank it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be selected on the on that on the next promotion board but they'll you know they'll tell you what you need to do to be qualified to be on that board and whether or not your report is strong enough just just goes to see on the day and in terms of i, I mean obviously there's the the you know the qualifications the requirements for say promotion but in a more general sense well here's what i'll ask okay what, what is it what is it about what is it about you that was good at the job or made you good at the job do you think do you know what looking back and i have been asked that by um, some people that I, I really couldn't say. I mean, part of it would be, I would say, my presence. I mean, I'm six foot six, you know, seven. At the time when I joined, I was about 12, 11 stone. I ended up, you know, playing a lot of rugby and been about 16, 17 stone. So I, 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 was, e I was not easy to miss, so to speak, which can, okay. be, good, which can be good and bad. Um, and I suppose I was just very lucky at different times in my career to be in what I would consider the right place with the right sort of people. That brings out the best in you, right? As, as like in any job, you know, if you've got the right team above you and beside you, and beneath you, you know, you you perform at your best as well. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about the military police? It's it seems like a really interesting. Uh, again, I'm using the, the wrong terms here, I'm sure, but like sort of unit. I'm going to say unit. Well, they are. I mean, the military police is is now a part of the Adjutant General's Corps. When I first joined, it was a, it was a separate corps on its own, but due to Options for change and the restructuring it eventually got um, swallowed up into the Adjutant General's core. And that, their role is exactly what it says on the tin. They're there to police the army on all different aspects in, in, in different theatres. So you've got everything from the policemen patrolling the garrison town uh, through to the plainclothes um, special investigation branch invest investigating uh, more serious crimes and, and other roles within that as well. When you train with that um do you interact with civilian police i mean is there sort of skills exchange or or does it keep very much to itself uh nowadays especially i mean when i first joined you you would probably just occasionally speak to civilian police at different incidents if they were there um now big places like um colchester and other garrisons that there's there's a lot more emphasis i think put on for um joint policing and liaising which i think which is a lot better did you have sort of jurisdiction with regards to sort of any military personnel or, um, or, 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 do, or does it sort of 
change depending on whether they're on duty or off duty? It depends whereabouts in the world you are. And then in the UK, although things are happening in a garrison, you know, we have jurisdiction to a degree. At the end of the day, we're still in England and the civil police have primacy. So um, depending on the severity, they can still come in and, and, and deal with, with certain incidents and offences. But the more the more mundane, there wasn't any any sort of discrepancy. But then places where you serve around the world, when I was in Belize, I was the only military policeman out there. So I had primacy on everything that happened, although there was a strict liaison with the Belize defence, the Belize civil police as well. So it all depends where you are and what the, and what that memorandum of understanding is between the, the nation that you're serving at the time. Uh, a genetic question then, what is the hardest part of your job or what was the hardest part of your job? One of the, I mean, I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed it all, all the way through, you know, from patrolling the streets in Ireland through to, you know, living in, you know, in Belize, um, serving in all the shop, going on exercises, going to Bosnia, other things like that and deployments. I, I enjoyed everything. Um, as I got older, uh, I think, and married, and then when children came in, into the, I suppose the biggest or the hardest thing to, to cope with then is the fact that you're leaving loved ones behind when you go away. Um, and because we moved a lot every couple of years, my children had lots of different schools. So we made the decision, and I had still, I still had five years left. We then bought our own house and moved into the local community and with the sole intention to give the boys stability so when they went up to senior school they'd take friends with them they wouldn't be the new person joining in year you know year seven or eight sure for that stability that that i think probably the hardest part of it um is the, the fact that it's it's my, my job you're right and it is all encompassing and it's and it's a lifestyle but your wife and children marry into it so to speak and they didn't sign on the dotted line so they're the ones that getting moved every every two or three years they're the ones changing schools losing friends um so you know bear in mind they didn't sign sign up for that yeah. um, that they are heavily um affected by it i mean my youngest one my son my oldest one so let's think we, we when he was born he was born in cyprus we left cyprus uh went to um where did we go? From Cyprus, we went to Devizes, and then on to Northern Ireland, uh, and then back to Bulford, then down to Southampton, and then to Emsworth. And there were moves in between, quarter moves in between. So by the time we moved into our house, it had something like 11 different houses. Right, okay. And he was in year, he was just starting year six, no, five, when we got there. So what would, what would have been? He'd have been nine, eight or nine, and he'd had 11 houses. Wow, okay. So that can be difficult for the, for the families, I think. And, and you get caught up in it as well. Sure. As someone who's then sort of been all over the world, but, you know, not on holiday, you've been, you've been working. Have you ever, this is a sort of odd question, but I, I'm wondering whether having seen so many different people, having worked with so many different people, you find that there are common aspects to how people sort of behave or or is part of the interest that part of the interesting bit about the work is that when you go to different places people really are very different um yeah very much so i mean the military police are very small it's a small core at the time so when you when you move from a different unit you always know someone there before so 
you can re-establish uh, old friendships or enemies. Okay. Um, but it, it, that's probably the most interesting part of the military is the fact that you meet so many different people from all around the world. I mean, uh, by the time I, I was in Cyprus, we were recruiting a lot from foreign and Commonwealth countries. Uh, so we had a lot of Fijians and foreign Commonwealth soldiers. And that just, you know, opened up a whole new um, interest across all different nations. And also, obviously, because of the Fijians, we got a better rugby team. Right. Okay. Um, you said you you left school with with few qualifications, but in your time in the military, you you gained extra qualifications. I'm I'm just wondering, was it something the military sort of unlocked in, in your mind? Was it that you sort of thrived in that environment? No, no. no I think you're, you're you're right, and I think that's exactly it. At school, I was disengaged. I was unmotivated. I wasn't particularly interested. You know, I was bright and that was always in my reports. You know, my parents always say, could do better, could do better, could apply himself, Mm. but I didn't. And when you're actually in a job that you really like and you're starting to learn things you really want to to learn or you're interested in and it sparks your interest and it's, you know, and at the time, you know, the instructors on these courses, some of them are really good instructors, which is why they're there. I think it feeds a, a passion or an interest in you, which you probably apply more. So although I left school with literally nothing worth mentioning, I ended up, you know, being an instructor in weapons, drill, for, uh, skill at arms, um, map reading, um, police investigations, and then going on to that, um, going further and, and doing different roles. Uh, and then when I commissioned, when I was lucky enough to commission, I then was offered the chance to do a master's. So I'm one of these bizarre people who have no qualifications other than a master's on paper, educationally-wise. Right, okay. Which doesn't fit into too many easy tick boxes on on electronic forms, that's for sure. Sure. When you were in the military, are there unusual assumptions that people made about you or the, or the work? Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think there's always a, you're always a slave to people's preconceptions. Um, a lot of, People in the civvy street would, at the time, you'd, would think that all soldiers would join because, you know, you're either going to prison. You know, when I first joined, people were going, oh, couldn't get a job. You know, was it that old prison? And in, in fact, there are some very, very bright and motivated people that join the, the military. You know, people there to do, because they're passionate about what they do. They want to serve. They want to lead. Um, so, yeah, there was there's sometimes a misconception that, oh, you joined the army because there's nothing else you wanted to do. You, you couldn't get a job anywhere else or, you know, unemployed for too long. And you do, again, I'm making an assumption here, but you do get sort of military families where there's a long kind of history of, of, of people going into, into various military branches. Was that true for your background? Or was it just that you really liked the, the TA and you it, decided to make that your job? Yeah, I think you're right. At the time, um, that's what for what I wanted to do. I, I joined the TA I really enjoyed it, and that's why I pursued it. It's not until we were in later on, my father, who had a brief stint in the military, very young for you know for probably six months, I think, before he he left. And my mum was in, and at the time she had to get out because she was pregnant with my brother. So these things weren't really I weren't even really talked about. Yes, I knew she'd serve, but it wasn't really a big thing. But after a while, you know, when you're in, you you find out more, and then you find out that on my dad's side, he had a his father served in the in the First World War and got a military cross, and an uncle on my, my a great uncle on my mother's side 
again, First World War received a VC. And, and I, you know, and until I was in, I didn't really pay attention to those sort of things. I guess I'm sure they weren't hidden from us, but they weren't overly mentioned all the time. It's then when you show an interest, the, the history of the family comes out. And I wouldn't have said we were what I would call a military family per se. But then looking back, yeah, we had a little bit of a link. And in terms of, we'd had a brief discussion before, and one of the things I was really interested in is that a military career like yours sort of comes to an end. It hasn't has a, a sort of an arc that lots of other jobs don't necessarily. I'm wondering about when you left, was it sort of hard to readjust or was it not, not so much hard? Were there, were there anything, any unusual things adjusting to civilian life? Um, that's a really good question, Ed, uh, and, and the thing that a lot of people ask. Um, I mean, when I joined initially, I signed up for three years because that was the the, the minimum criteria. So I signed up for three. And as um, as an other rank, uh, I was, you know, I was committed to 22 years in the colour service, whether that be three years on the reserve list. Uh, sorry, three years regular and then the rest on the reserve list. But as it as I went through and when I was lucky enough to get commissioned, then it was down, down to almost age bar. Then I was either out at 50 or the year before I could be boarded and maybe lucky to convert my commission to a, what they call a regular commission and out of 55. But at that time, I had a son with who was awaiting a heart transplant and I didn't want to go away anymore. And I literally served everywhere we could have done in the area that we were living. So um, I wasn't probably a good bet to convert. So And I didn't. And so I was probably preparing for it mentally for three, four, five years, I think, before it happened. So when I, my last two years, when you can start doing your resettlement, I was pretty much sure that I was I was going to be terminal at, at age 50 and get out. So, you know, I woke up on my, my military contract ended on midnight on the 2nd of September. Um, so I woke up age 50, no job. With the f- and the first time I've been a civilian for 32 years, so happy birthday to me. <laughs> um, but as because I think I was prepared for it, and because of my son's condition, actually, I don't miss. I found I found um, adjusting quite easy. I was lucky because by then I'd been in my own home for five years, so I was coming back to the same house every evening or most evenings. So that part of it, I think, would probably be difficult for some people um so i was really lucky in that part so i'd suppose i'd already started to to readjust by living in my own home um so and the fact that my my son's condition made it something that i i needed to be nearby i adjusted quite quickly i still miss some of the people and i'm still in touch with um, some of the people i serve with um but do i miss it I wouldn't say miss it's the right word. I do miss some of the, the people. I miss some of the experiences. And I look back fondly on my whole career. Excellent. With with other interviewees, I, I've asked things like, um, you know, about dream assignments. But I suppose instead, what I'd like to ask is, and again, forgive me, because maybe this is coming from a place of, of complete ignorance. I'm sure it is. If you could have your time again, so you're still in the military, is there a sort of a unit or a branch or a, a sort of a job that if you had your time again, you think, oh, I'd actually, that would have been an interesting thing to pursue. I mean, is it like, oh, the paratroopers always seem to be having fun. Maybe I could have done that. 
or um, you know spending yeah. more time in a tank or something. I'm not sure. I must admit, I, 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 I visited. I did quite a bit with the navy when I was in Cyprus, um, visiting some of the ships who were coming in on exercise and briefing them. And I spent a night on board HMS Ocean. So part of me thinks that might have been quite interesting to spend more time doing that. But probably looking back, I'd probably like to serve again in somewhere like Belize, but with both the boys being of an age, you know, being there with us and of an age where they could have experienced it, you know, you know, chopping coconuts out on the tree outside the house for the curry that evening, you know, feeding the iguana, feeding the iguana in the storm train, you know, picking mangoes off a tree, you know, and just traveling. So I wish I could turn the time back and visit, do it all again, but with, with them to experience some of the, the better places. Okay, a last question. I, I usually ask people to choose between three ridiculous careers or, or sort of I, I think of something off the top of my head. But I think because your job is such an interesting and, and different from uh, things we've been talking about uh, on the podcast in the past, what I would like to know actually is if you had your time again, but this time you were to choose a career that had nothing to do with the military, is there anything that has really appealed in the past or something you've just sort of thought about? That is a fantastic question, Ed. And, and I would say that, and it's due to, I think, my, my son, my youngest son, who, as I said, um, was on the heart transplant. He's thankfully almost three years post-transplant and successful. Looking at the, the type of people and the, and the, and, and the jobs they do, uh, my wife and I both spoke at different times thinking, you know, it would have been nice to pursue something in the medical side. Right. You know, I'd like to have actually, you know, when it, and I've said it enough times to doctors before and consultants we've spoken to, and I've always said to them, you know, thank God that you paid attention in school and did well because, you know, if it was down to me, it, it wouldn't work out very well at all. So, look, I mean, that's the wonderful thing of hindsight. I work in a school now, so, and I, and I chat to some of the disengaged kids and go, look, you know, yeah, leaving school without any qualification won't necessarily ruin your life. You know, it didn't ruin mine, but it gives you options. And and you know, I think if I'd have, if I could live my life again, yes, I I, I would still do the army. But it'd been brilliant. But you know, the choosing something like medicine or something along those lines, you know, and and the good those people do would be fantastic. I think. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me uh, today, Lee. Uh, that was great. Uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, Ed. And like I say, if you li- listen back and go, oh, hold on, we need a bit more or something's not clear, please don't hesitate. Just drop me an email and we can do it all again, mate. Well, there we have it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As I said in the pre-interview bit, I really enjoyed the way this one went. I mean, there are now lots of other things I want to talk to Lee about. I really want to delve into some other stuff. Perhaps I'll try and wrangle him back for a follow-up episode at some point. I mean, I haven't told him any of this, but, you know. Anyway, as always, and whatdoyoudo.co.uk is the place for this and every other episode. We'll be taking a short break, and then it will be on to the next season. Please, if you want to be interviewed, or you can volunteer someone, you know, with their permission, then uh, get in touch by sending an email to and what do you do podcast at gmail.com. I would love to speak to you. Take care. Speak soon. Thank you.